0: back to the Cycling Podcast, everybody. I'm Kaylee Fretz. It is Monday, November 1st. We made it to November. That's very exciting. We've got most of the usual crew here today to talk about all kinds of things in the cycling world. We've got some, this is a blast from the past, some Oleg Tinkoff news. That'll be fun. We're going to mention cyclocross, uh, even though usually we don't. But we're going to today. We're going to talk about it. Talk about the tour down under and how that might be back. Unclear at the moment. A potential UK Tour de France start, a little update on some more team DSM strangeness, and a Romanian drug bust that found a bunch of Italian bicycles. Italian national team track bicycles. Talk about that later in the show as well. And in today's Nerd Nugget. People are criticizing a an- An old canyon, a new old old canyon, an old new canyon, a canyon we just reviewed for being old, basically. And James has some thoughts on that. And Rad Power, which if you listen to the Nerd Alert podcast, you know that we have thoughts on Rad Power, the e-bike company, just pulled in a ton more financing. What does this mean for basically traditional bike brands? But before we get into any of that, let's say hello to everybody. Abby, how are you? Yeah, great. Shadi, Dave.
1: If you're asking how I'm doing, it's it's a bit stressed actually. House hunting for the past week, and it's not going well at all.
0: Uh oh. Yeah,
1: painful to say the word, to say the least.
2: James, are you doing better than Shadi? Uh, I am, particularly since I was able to. Well, I was successfully able to extract myself from my Halloween costume yesterday, which was not a sure thing.
3: <laughs> that was such a, <laughs> it good was a Halloween terrifying costume.
2: It was a terrifying <laughs> costume. Uh, for anyone who didn't B- B- see my Halloween costume, I basically took a, a leftover bike box that I had here, cut out one side of it, uh, scored the whole inside of it like every, I don't know, five centimeters or so, rolled the whole thing up into a tube, wrapped it in paper towels, and I was a scary, nearly empty toilet paper roll because that was apparently what frightened people the most during the pandemic. <laughs> it was It was, very, it was very awkward
0: uh also thank you james for your mention of uh my kermit the Land Yacht instagram account uh on nerd alert last week because now i have tons and tons of followers over there oh, looking get no. absolutely nothing oh so no i appreciate that what, what have i what have i done what have i done <laughs> Dan cash how are you today
4: cold cold yeah it was like it's nice and warm down here in durango it was like high 60s on saturday that's like What's that, like low 20s Celsius? And then last night it got down to the no, 30s, near zero that. Celsius. I don't like that. Not, not a fan of that. Like 12 to
0: zero? Oof. No good.
4: Dean, have you even been outside today? Uh, no. It's, it's not even 9 a.m. Why would I have gone outside so why today? Are you, why
2: are you complaining about it being cold? <laughs> I've, I've already gone out and rode my kid to school this morning. Why are you complaining about why, it being cold? But
4: why, why? Oh, no. No, because I know that it's cold, so I'm going to stay in here where it's at least warmer. <laughs> oh, Jeez yeah i'm looking at it looks like it's 35 right now yeah i have no why would i ever go outside on that no thanks <laughs> Shuty dave what are we learning about
0: continents all this week
1: here we go then so the weather is changing all over the northern hemisphere winter is definitely on its way Amongst Continental's Ranger tyres, there's one that is made for going long even when the weather isn't ideal. That's the Gator Hardshell. As the name suggests, the Gator Hardshell is ideal when it comes to extremely long service life or for rough surfaces and rugged tarmac. Puncher protection and mileage at a strength of Conti's Hardshell Pro Tretection. The three ply carcass, each layer with sixty TPI, covers the entire tyre and makes it a real bastion against anything the road can throw at you. Plus, the outer sidewalls are reinforced with Dura Skin fabric, providing even more reliability. So, for whatever weather throws at you, ContiGator hard shell tyres are the puncture resistant flagship amongst tyres. Go get them if uh, yeah. You'd want to get out and about on the roads this winter and they'll not be stood at the side of the roads pumping them up. Pumping other tires up, I should be saying.
2: I just bought some Conti winter tires for my car, actually. There you go.
1: I wonder how much of a crossover in um, technology there is there between them and the, the Gator hard shell.
2: Uh, probably my not a ton. guess is probably quite minimal. That would be my guess. <laughs> <Anyway>. <laughs> they do. Co- Conti does make a,
0: a winter contact, uh, like non-studded winter bike tire, which I had on my commuter bike for a long time, which is actually fantastic, which does use the same sort of roughly the same idea as a winter car tire. Just like lots of siping and little channels and things like that. And it, it worked actually surprisingly well. Like not as good as a studded as a studded tire, but like you could ride it when it was dry and not have to listen to studded tires. So
2: I wish they made them in uh, in the sizes that I need for my cargo bike, though. It's kind of a bummer. Yeah, I, I would have totally gone with those.
0: I know, me too. I just I just ordered some studded tires for my cargo bike. Anyway, let's get into today's episode. We're gonna start off with some rapid fire news. I think that's how we're gonna structure today's episode so we've got a we've got a pile of them here i listed them off a lot of them off at the beginning of the episode let's start with oleg Tinkoff. dane what what's going on here what did oleg Tinkoff do this time
4: uh yeah he well it wasn't necessarily what he did this time it's more like what he did several years ago that he got caught for um he he's a wealthy man mr Tinkoff. um i I believe his his worth uh is upwards of two billion u.s dollars Uh, He also is a, um, or was, a U.S. citizen, and uh, you have to pay taxes when you have a lot of money. Well, you have to pay taxes even if you have just like a medium amount of money, but if you have a lot of money, you have to pay a lot of taxes. Theoretically. That's right, theoretically. Uh, Mr. Sinkoff apparently did not pay his taxes uh, adequately. Uh, Apparently, he actually failed to pay quite a large amount of taxes to the tune of many, many, many millions of dollars. And uh, he was charged with tax fraud a long time ago. And the case kind of dragged on and on and on. Uh, And then finally, he was uh, required to pay some taxes back. Uh, I believe the total amount that he paid back uh, between the, the taxes that he owed and also
2: a big fine was roughly 500 million U.S. dollars. 508,936,000 Uh, five hundred eight thousand, or five hundred eight million nine hundred thirty-six thousand, to be specific. There you go. Which is a lot. That's a lot of money. Which means it's he probably has half billion a billion dollars.
4: If he's being taxed that much, you know, uh, the fine was only part of that. I mean, a lot. A, I think the lion's share, at least like half of it, was like owed money, basically. So yeah, Mr. Tickoff owed a lot of money. That he didn't pay. He finally had to pay it. Uh, felony fraud. But I don't think he. He's not going to prison or anything. I think he just, uh, I think he's he's just had to pay that huge amount.
0: Are, are they going to be able to collect this? Are they going to be able to collect it from him?
4: Dad, I dad, I don't really know. Don't know how that. Yeah, not sure. I mean, he's not
0: in America at the moment.
4: <laughs> yeah, I'm 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 uncertain of how all that works.
2: <laughs> and even if he. I mean, who knows how how much the U.S. can can kind of like force his hand to make him pay if he's not in the country. And even if it's a sort of thing where he c- just can't come back th- to the U.S. Uh, ever unless he pays that money. I mean, I-, I can understand if he really wanted to come back here for whatever reason, but that would be a really, really expensive trip. That is true. Yeah.
0: Well, good old Tinkoff. I, I, it still cracks me up that this dude was in cycling for a long time. I mentioned this briefly before we hit record here that Oleg Tinkoff is still the only cycling general manager past or present who I've seen fully naked uh on the on the side of the road at a Tour de France stage he used to ride i think i've mentioned this story on the, on the pod before he used to ride long stretches of tour stages and we just were driving along one day and i see like sort of a tinkoff van and a very sort of pale naked guy next to it uh with like an employee on the roof of the van pouring water over him like taking an outdoor shower but had made zero efforts to to conceal himself he was just on the side of the road taking a shower with an employee so yeah there you go oh like tinkoff not a
2: uh not shy i believe that's the sort of thing i, I believe that's very uh descriptive of someone who has so much money that they really just don't care they just don't care to, about anything.
4: to put it in yeah. respect of how much money he has he he just got fined plus you know asked to pay back or required to pay back the amount of uh, roughly like 12 Ineos teams it's not a small amount of money it's many 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 he could basically fund the entire world tour with the amount that he's paying back and fined uh that's, that's, that's an entire World Tour Peloton, basically. That's if wild. not
1: more than that. If not more than that. You just think, I bet he's kicking himself really because he, he could have done what uh, several countries' sponsors do and use it as a very good tax write-off sponsoring teams, events over multiple years. But yeah, there's c- certain countries that do seem to do it rather well, the you old know, tax write-off stuff and fund teams that way.
0: Maybe that's why he had the cycling team. Maybe that was his losses, and he was trying to trying to balance the books a little bit, cut some of that tax burden. I'm just, I'm just. Most rich dudes are much better at hiding their money than this. I think that he just sort of failed here. I mean, if if you if you have not successfully, you know, hidden all of your cash in Panama or something like that, was it the Panama Papers that wasn't actually in Panama? If you haven't successfully hidden your cash in a bunch of offshore bank accounts, then what are you, what are you even doing? What are you even doing, Oleg?
3: Obviously, he's not very bright.
0: <laughs> I don't think that's true. He's just insane. Anyway, let's move on. Like I said, quick news hits today. Cyclocross. What's going on in Cyclocross? We had a, a, a pretty exciting bit of news for an American this morning.
3: Yeah. This morning, Clara Hossinger won in uh, Koppenberg. So she won the Copenberg Cross this morning, which is a huge win for the US rider. Um she has she was up there last year and on the podium in some big races, um, but hasn't yet this year. So big win for her. In other cross news, Blanca Voss won her first um world cup cross race at overhaisa the mother of all crosses she's a 20 year old who is an incredible talent and definitely one to watch for the future she's also racing on the road and was fourth at the world championships and is i mean just yeah exciting for the future she rides for sd works which is cool they don't have a ton of uh crossover road to cross they also have christine mayarus who dabbles a little bit but She's pretty much their only like cross cross. Um, and she won. She won a World Cup, her first World Cup against some pretty big names. Uh Betsima, Peter Pe- Petersa and uh Lucinda Brand were all in the race. So it was a huge field and, and she won solo. So it was yeah, pretty impressive.
4: Is that all our cross news? Uh, just a little update on the men's side. Eli Iserbit won the men's race set over Isa. I think that's his third World Cup win of the year. He now leads the series. Uh, but that's one of those things where you're just waiting for Vanderpool and, and Van Aert to join the fray. And they haven't yet. So who knows what will happen when they do. Oh, actually, no, I do know what happens when they when they do join the fray. They'll win. They'll win races. That's That tends to be what happens. Uh, but for now, Eli Iserbit do, do... is uh, leading the way. Good for him.
0: Didn't he kind of do this last year a little bit, too? I can't remember whether he was ever leading. I think he was leading for a while. Yeah, and th- then, yeah, yeah, basically just sort of slowly. It's got like Eisabit versus
4: and Ertz and then and then the other guys show up. Right. Yeah. So it's
0: like how, whether they can get enough points before the other guys show up to, to hang on to that leader's jersey for long enough.
4: Yeah. Well, who knows? Maybe this year they'll, you know, Eisabit's very young, and he's continuing to develop, and, and maybe he'll be able to hang on this year. Who knows? We'll, we'll, we'll find out.
0: I'm I'm now okay with cyclocross because it's November first, so I'm I it's allowed now as far as I'm concerned. Cyclocross in in August uh, should result in jail. Uh, cyclocross in September is only sort of slightly less offensive. So, cyclocross in October
4: suspended prison sentence for September, like Oleg yes, Takeoff got for his yes, tax exactly. fraud.
0: October, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to begrudge people their halloween dress up suck lacrosse so i guess the end of october is okay and then november is when suck lacrosse should actually be allowed that's what i think
1: it's similar feelings to when people start celebrating christmas far too early isn't it like september (laughs) christmas is only i don't know x amount of days away like no 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 woo! you can do it 10 days before
0: (laughs) there was a there was a christmas tree shaped Pepsi thing at the grocery store yesterday. And I, and this is on Halloween. And I was not okay with it you kicked in it the down? same way that I am not okay with cyclocross. I kicked it down. Yep.
3: Um, if cyclocross <laughs> isn't allowed in August, September, and a chunk of October, most of October, I feel like we should also ban road racing in January, February. That'd be fine. No. Oh.
4: <laughs> There's a lot of our listeners who may not be happy with that. Uh, there's a lot of people from okay, that in hey, summer, I love
3: I love racing in Australia. Love it. Can we have it yeah, end of February, beginning of March?
1: You no, can have it when... September
3: next year if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that works for me too. We can have it end of the year. We can have it in September. What is James doing?
2: Hey, 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 Dan, you're, you know how you were talking
0: about how it was cold outside? James is now outside. So James' the internet connection dropped. He's now on his phone in a puffy coat outside
4: <laughs> where it is roughly 35 degrees that's like what is that one celsius so good for good for james uh, Can
2: can you guys hear me <laughs> yeah we can hear you i think oh, it's yeah. just delayed okay. okay well i my, i kept my recording going so in theory nothing should have changed <laughs> i think we're except good except go. i missed the rest of the conversation so we were, anyway
0: i was just i was just trying to generate hate mail uh for my inbox by saying that cyclocross should not be allowed until november that, that's all we've gotten to so far. That's all you missed. Uh, Dan,
2: Dan, I can't confirm, by the way, it is quite cold
4: outside. <laughs> there we go. All right. And also, by the way, I just want to point out that earlier in the show, uh, I teed up Dave perfectly to talk about Continental's colder weather tires. And uh, that was not intentional, but I, I did pat myself on the back.
0: I didn't know what the ad was, so I didn't actually grab hold of that for the segue uh, that was my fault for not reading the ad ahead of time can, can we it's can okay. we get this show on the road it's cold out here <laughs> <laughs> this is the cyclist podcast this, i think this is what people come here from just us to get confused <laughs> about what we're talking about and <laughs> go on tangents all right let's speaking of speaking of this is, a, this is a great segue speaking of racing in january the tdu long gone because no one can get in or out of australia might be back this winter slash their summer. What, what's going on here?
4: It's, it seems as if the uh, plans to sort of ease restrictions in parts of Australia, ease of the COVID restrictions, uh, have led organizers to consider uh, possibly holding the race, despite it having been canceled, or they called it off. But uh, yeah, with, with plans to sort of open things up a, a little bit, they are at least thinking about what it might look like to in fact hold the race after all uh but it does seem that it's very much still uncertain and and not something to necessarily be um yeah don't don't suddenly think it's it's absolutely going to happen it's just a possibility that the tour done under in 2022 will actually move forward that is according to aussie media i think seven news in adelaide was the first to report that uh and yeah we'll we'll see what happens there
0: yeah and uh I think even if it happened, you'd struggle to get the sort of normal international field down there. Uh, but frankly, for the sort of local cycling community down in Adelaide or, you know, folks from Melbourne or Sydney who make the trek down, I don't know whether they can get across state borders yet, but if they make the trek down, it's still a super cool event. And even if it was just mostly local races, I think that would still be still be worthwhile. So fingers crossed they can make that happen. Uh, but I don't think you're going to get any odds down there. If they have to quarantine for two weeks.
3: I mean, last year they still, um, had kind of just Australian, Australian riders only. And it was still a really awesome event. I think, I think there's enough people out there that love this race, uh, myself included. What I said earlier, I was just, I was joking. I love this race. Um, but I yeah, I think that there would be a good chunk of people who would go. The problem would be the short turnaround from when they actually find out if it's happening or not, and being able to get fit. We might see like a tour down under, like we saw. I don't know, years and years ago when people weren't fit yet and they'd show up and race in their off season weight, <laughs> which would
1: be awesome. I'd that'd be absolutely. I've been there with two thousand and. Four was the first year I sort of tore down under and everyone was turning up overweight there. I think I've said, told me story about Dario Pieri on this podcast before when he was riding for Lamprey, when they were sponsored by Cannondale. And you've never seen a rider so big in the off season. <laughs> he, he got like, I'd hate to think what size jersey um Kappa were making him back then. But he got lapped twice on the people's what was the people's choice classic or whatever it was class <laughs> back then. And then by stage four of the race proper, he was in handoff at the finish. So he hadn't even made the finish. He was in handoff at the finish in his shorts, t-shirt, holding a little, a little wallaby, mate. So yeah, he went there for. So I'd love to see that again. Big chunky pros. <laughs> getting terrible suntans. <laughs> looking uncomfortable in
0: lycra i think Richie port wins either way right
3: most of the australians actually like the world tour australians men and women didn't even go home because of the quarantine and and the price tag on going home i mean a couple of them were telling me that flights were like five grand to get from europe to australia right now so if that's another thing that makes me think that this is probably not gonna happen
2: but i wish it would And just the general uncertainty of it too, just even if it was, even if they had decided that they were still going to go through with it today, we're barely talking about three months here and it's a lot of logistics to take care of and teams don't really like to operate on a last minute sort of basis. And especially if there's, if they're not 100% certain that it is actually going to happen, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't commit to that.
1: And, and as for fans, like, yeah, Sydney's just come out of a lockdown like two weeks ago. I'm not sure on Melbourne, the, the, uh, other major cities, but it's like people usually book their holiday around this event, so they're not going to throw away two weeks, a week, whatever it is of the holiday in the chance of their race possibly being on.
0: Yeah. I think unlike, unlikely to feel normal either way. Uh, I hope something happens, just like last year, something smaller maybe. Moving on, news of a potential UK Tour de France start. Now, this is just relevant, I think, because every time the tour goes to the UK, it's a smashing success. What's the plan here?
4: Yeah, so the news emerged middle of last week that the uh, budget put forward by the uh, Chancellor Rishi, Sun- Rishi Sunak, uh, the UK budget, included funding for – a lot of funding, actually – for a bid to bring the Tour de France to Great Britain in 2026. Uh, the, uh, the plan, I, I guess, is to have the tour visit not only England, but also Wales and Scotland. So potential stages in, in three of the four. Uh, no, um, no Northern Ireland in the plans, as far as I can tell. So I had a good, good bit of fun talking to Ronan about the headline here because it's the UK government doing this, bringing the race to Great Britain. With no Northern Ireland involved, unfortunately, but yeah, England, Wales, and Scotland, which is a pretty big deal. I mean, this is this is a the tour has been to England before, but for the Tour de France to show up in Wales and Scotland would be a pretty cool development. And they have a lot of money planned uh, set aside for this bid for the Grand Depart in 2026. So the amount of money suggests to me that it's likely to be successful. Uh, I, I mean, you don't just throw many millions of dollars around at a tour start and, and not get it usually, uh, and so this would be, I think, the third time in, what, 40 years that the Tour would have started there? Um, they had a great, uh, what what would the uh, word be?
1: 2014 in, in Yorkshire.
4: Yeah, in the Yorkshire race, there was sort of a groundswell of support for cycling in Yorkshire after that. I mean, we had the, the Tour of Yorkshire and, and just a lot of racing in Yorkshire after that. Uh, and I think the hope is that this would do similar things uh, wherever the race went if they were to kind of bring the, the, the Tour de France there in 2026 and help kind of continue to grow the sport in, in, uh, well in Great Britain, again, apparently not in Northern Ireland, but yeah, in Great Britain. And, uh, and that would be pretty cool, uh, particularly because the tour, tour to Yorkshire has, um, well, they had some financial difficulties recently and, and cycling in, in the UK in general has, I think the, the racing scene has, has struggled. Uh, so this could hopefully revitalize things from a kind of, uh, growing fan support perspective. Yeah. That's sort of the British decade. I think, unfortunately is, is somewhat
0: over, uh, Good return. You never know. But, yeah, that sort of 2011, 2012. 2012 is really what I'd say when it, when it was fully kicking off. Uh, through the next eight years or so, that it felt, it felt like pro cycling was completely dominated by Brits all the time. That has sort of waned. The, the golden generation, I think you could call them, are starting to age out a little bit. Uh, some interesting, obviously, some interesting talent coming up behind. I mean, Pidcock, all the rest, but... Not quite like it was ten years ago.
1: You, t- you talk to riders who were at that the the tour start in Yorkshire, and they they say that that was they've never seen a start quite like it. So hopefully, yeah, twenty twenty six, you get something equally as exciting. But I can't. There'd be some massive transfers if they're going to try and hit Scotland, England, and Wales. Be some real big transfers.
4: I looked this up. You can, you can ride. It's, a, it's like 300 miles. It's like 500K from Wrexham, which is near the border, to the southernmost part of Scotland. So if they really want to do like a big stage, they could do it. Uh, you know, maybe the longest stage in tour history. But I think it's doable.
0: <laughs> <The> 500K <laughs> stage why not calling calling Lachlan Morton please show up in Starline James looks so cold by the way look at him look at him in that it's not warm out here look at him in his puppy coat just bouncing around (laughs) trying to stay warm (laughs) this is what we do for you podcast listeners we hang out in our yards at at freezing temperatures (laughs) all right moving on from the tour I don't have a whole lot more to say about that other than i love it because i was in yorkshire when the tour went there and it was fantastic dsm we've got just sort of a, a another small continuation of this story dane what's going on
4: yeah uh we talked last week about how well, tij Banute apparently leaving uh, uh dsm joining the very very long list of luminaries whose uh, contracts have have been uh, um what would the word be? They've been released from their contracts early. Uh, it seems as if young up-and-comer Elon Van Wilder, who finished— uh, actually, probably Elon Van Wilder, or Wilder. I, I think of Ryan Reynolds when I think of Van Wilder, but that's probably not how Elon himself says it. Uh, he wants to lead the team, but apparently the team this time is saying, no, we don't we don't want that to happen. Uh, and so he's apparently taking them to court. So young Elon Van Wilder is uh, apparently willing to go to take legal action to get out of his contract with DSM. Uh, they don't seem very pleased by this, and they, see, they seem also displeased by the fact that it's now all over the media, which kind of makes sense. Uh, so that's a story to keep an eye on. Van Wilder is a really, really talented youngster. I think he was third overall at Tour de a few years ago. Uh, and uh, so a rider that it would make sense for DSM to want on their team, but apparently he doesn't want to be there. So just another example of a rider deciding that the DSM team is not for him, despite having signed a piece of paper that said he would stay for a certain amount of time.
0: We still don't really fully know what the heck is going on at DCM, but it's very clear that DCM, what about DCM? DSM. But it's clear that something is happening at DSM. Again, we've talked about this numerous times. We don't want to speculate too much, but there's, there's, there's clearly management style over there that does not suit riders well. Uh, I'll say that we are we're poking around at this one and uh, trying to get the real story. Because it's interesting to me.
1: It's got it's got to suit some riders because Bad Day says he's enjoying it there. Um, not that his results are shown too much that he is yet, but and then also, what's um, oh, his blooming name? Mine's gone blank. Moving from Trek back to DSM. Uh, no, from Lotto Soudal to DSM. Sunweb Trek Trek. L'O, Lotto. So, you know what's his bloody name? John Degenkobb. Sorry, I had a brain freeze then. That's terrible. But yeah, it, it, it must it must suit him because he's going back after many years of being out of the teams.
0: I mean, yeah, it clearly suits some people, suits some riders. But I think it's it's yeah, it's if you don't fit the mold, you you don't fit the mold. That's that seems to be the recurring theme, and that's about I think that's about all we can really say in, in detail at the moment. Let's leave that one return to it at some point the, the last little news nugget we've got here the romanian police found all of the highly distinctive italian track bikes uh as part of a drug bust what, what what's going on here
4: yes yeah, so the the first off the context is that the italian national track team uh at track worlds in roubaix well technically they were staying in lille in france uh but yeah their hotel in france they got uh, they got robbed of many bikes, bikes that value were valued at many, many, many thousands of, of dollars or euros. Uh, I think the stolen bikes apparently were valued at something in the neighborhood of six hundred thousand uh, euros, because each bike, each each Pinarello track bike, uh, was worth something like thirty thousand. That's a lot of euros. Uh, they were stolen out of the hotel parking lot. I think it was in it. They were in a, a, a van, uh, and the team said that they had picked this particular hotel because it had a, a monitored parking lot that was a private lot, and this seemed good for security. So they were conscious of these security concerns, and yet they were robbed anyway, uh, and thieves took many of their bicycles. Uh, fortunately for the Italians, they were still able to race, and it didn't seem to impact them too much. They they had a great track worlds. Anyway, a week later, over in Romania, uh, Romanian police found... I believe they said they found 21 bikes. I'm not entirely sure if they found all of the bikes, uh, but they found most of the bikes. They posted video of of several of the gold-painted bikes uh, that the team had used to sort of celebrate their Olympic success. Those are the really expensive ones. Uh, they found them as part of this massive police operation that was busting a ring of criminals who were also dealing uh, dealing drugs and, and other stolen goods. Uh, apparently, they were... The suspects were caught trying to sell these bikes. I saw the number they were selling them for was pretty low. Uh, I guess they're hot goods, so it makes sense that you wouldn't be able to charge thirty grand for them, but it was something like a one and a half thousand for these thirty thousand dollars. yeah, I feel like they could have gotten more. So if you're gonna break the law to steal a thirty thousand dollars bike, come on. Uh, but yeah, they didn't uh, they didn't get away with it. they They got busted, and uh, a number of people were detained. And, yeah, fortunately for the Italian national track team, their really sweet gold-painted Pinarellos are, uh, I assume now they're they're back home, uh, or at least they're, they're in police custody. They're no longer in the hands of the thieves. I
2: would love to see a screenshot of that offer-up ad.
1: <laughs> I'll send you it over because as nice as it is for the Italian track team, I just got a, a very sad message from my eBay account saying we can't ship your bike now. Ah. <laughs> it's been fat." <laughs>
4: I wonder if they were <laughs> going to repaint them. <laughs> that or, awesome deal you found. Because you know, it seems like this would really, it'd really be a dead giveaway that this was a stolen bike. If it's this bright gold thing that there was a big news story about.
0: I mean, I wouldn't say that they they spent a lot of time thinking. Probably this not. Thing, it would seem. I'd
1: love it if it was one of them wild um, listings on eBay where it had like an emoji of like a little burglar and an emoji of someone, like keep your mouth quiet saying yeah we've nicked these. <laughs> You can have it at a good price if you don't tell anybody. <laughs>
0: Jeez, I mean that's basically what they were saying. Like no one who b- bought those and knew what they were. By the way, James has now just pulled over a one of those like heat lamp things. Like it's much better. Propane Life is much heat better thing over here. You're looking much happier. I'm glad that you it's, found a the solution there. It,
2: I I wouldn't necessarily say that I feel like super warm because this propane tank is nearly empty, but I'm not shivering anymore.
0: Whatever happened to your like full body uh, puffy
2: suit thing? I still have it, but I didn't really take the time to put it on because I uh, was just in kind of a rush. It's a bit of a process. A little bit, a little bit. I could have put my toilet paper suit back on. My Halloween costume, <laughs> as it turns out, was quite warm, but that it was that was that's challenging to get into. But
1: all I'm gonna say is I I'm guessing once this podcast goes out and we talk about the nerd what's going on in the nerd alert today that pet you claiming you got a propane he is going to come back and bite you in the ass.
2: Mm. Well, do you want me to freeze? Do you want me to freeze <laughs> out <on> here? <laughs> That's a perfect segue.
0: That's a perfect segue into our <laughs> into our next topic, which is the cycling industry climate commitment. Now, I'm just going to be a brief mention here because there's a story up on the site that I would encourage everyone to go read. But this is basically a group of industry leaders within the the bike world coming together and making a pledge to do a a number of different things. The first is some quite obvious stuff, like at least track the amount of carbon we're putting into the atmosphere. And I mention it because Cycling Tips is a signatory to it. So... Uh, at the moment, we're the only media outlet that is, but obviously we're hoping others will join us. Uh, the whole purpose of this is to you know, spread it across the entire bike world. There's lots of big brands that are involved in it with us. Asos, BMC, Specialized, Brompton, Rafa, Durrell, Pawn, all names that you will recognize. Uh, yeah, uh, we don't need to dig into this too far other than we mentioned on the podcast previously that this is something that we care a lot about it's something that we're going to be producing a lot more content around because that's sort of how that's how we view our role in this, right? Like we don't have supply chains that we can make efficient. We don't have we don't have the you know other ways to reduce our carbon footprint in those ways. We we live on the internet which does take energy for sure and we'll be looking at that, but at the end of the day we produce a lot less stuff than most of the rest of the bike world. But what we do have is a really big megaphone. And so we can talk about it and we can, you know, heap praise upon those who are doing well and, and hopefully point out things that, that are not so good, uh, including go listen to last week's Nerd Alert podcast, where we speak quite extensively, not specifically about climate change, but more about sort of the, the ability to reuse, potentially even recycle, to fix old bikes and bike parts and how that is really difficult and that's one of the things that that this uh the signatories to this are are kind of agreeing to is trying to change things like that trying to trying to make trying to make parts that can be fixed that can be recycled it's all part of this whole uh well it all it all adds up right trying to step away from the purely linear economy i think is the way that they put it in this thing So, just wanted to mention that. Go check it out on the website, read through it, and, you know, start putting pressure on the rest of the bike world to step up and join us in this one. We think it's incredibly important. Before we get to today's Nerd Nugget,
4: tell me about Hammerhead, Dane. I I will, Kaylee. I'd love to tell you about Hammerhead. The Hammerhead Carew 2. In fact, is a next-generation cycling computer that brings the power of advanced GPS navigation and intuitive software right to your handlebars. Its advanced and industry-leading mapping, navigation, and routing capabilities set it apart from other GPS options so you can explore with confidence. You can seamlessly import routes from Strava, Kaboot, and more, Hammerhead's new exclusive Climber feature lets you visualize and prepare for upcoming gradient challenges in real time. Climber was designed and developed in collaboration with the world's best climbers. Proven in France, it earned Israel startup nation rider Michael Woods some time in the polka dot jersey. For a limited time, Cycling Tips podcast listeners can get a free Hammerhead heart rate monitor with a purchase of a Karoo Two. Visit Hammerhead.io right now and use promo code Tips. At checkout to get yours today. That's a free Hammerhead Heart Rate monitor with the purchase of a Karutu when you go to hammerhead.io and use promo code cycling tips only for a limited time. Dane, you're really good at that.
3: I love it when Dane does the ads.
4: Dane's good at reading. Thank yeah. you. He's a top reader. Reading.
0: Yeah, it's a skill. You never
1: say that about me. <laughs> but, but there is a reason for no that. Comment, Juddy.
0: <laughs> excellent reading dame thank Thank you you to hammerhead for sponsoring this week's episode now let's get into our nerd nugget to round out today's show let's kick off with well let's let's kick off with the news actually this little bit of news about rad power uh james what's what's going on here basically rad power which we've talked about a number of times particularly on the nerdler podcast uh, they're 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 taking over the world is that what i gather
2: Rad Power just announced that they raised another, I think it was another 154 million U.S. in funding, um, which they are claiming makes it the best funded direct-to-consumer bicycle brand out there now overtaking Van VanMoof. Um, regardless of whether or not that claim holds true, their total amount of funding, which was something like three or four hundred million dollars, I can't remember now off the top of my head, but, um, but it, it makes them clearly very, very well funded, especially for... Uh, what has been perceived by a lot of people as a relatively small company in the bike world. Um, But I guess that's sort of the point is because in the mainstream market, Rad Power is not necessarily a small brand. They are sort of the brand if you're looking at a e-bike for general towny urban commuting use.
0: Yeah, I mentioned this on the Nerd Alert podcast, but here in Durango anyway, where there are a number of shops that stock e-bikes from Specialized and Trek, whatever else, I would say probably 9 out of 10 e-bikes that I see cruising around on Main Street are Rad Power e-bikes. It, e- easy. It, like, that's it maybe even underestimation.
2: They're, they are everywhere. So, but this sort, of, this sort of thing just sort of highlights, again, um, how there is sort of a blind spot in the cycling enthusiast world. Certainly among the industry and enthusiast riders. Um, that a lot of people had written off Rad Power as sort of like these junky e-bikes that no one was going to buy. But clearly the mainstream market feels very, very differently, in particular people who are looking to fund and get returns on their investments because they clearly see that Rad Power is a very good thing.
0: Can I do the same rant on this uh, this podcast that I've already done on Nerd Alert? Should I rant about it? I can't decide if I want to rant about it. I think it. you should rant. Or if I should make I people think should go rant over there. you
3: should rant away. Just... Just like right. could right. like make your rant a little shorter.
0: Like a mini rant? Can I can do a mini rant. rant. Yeah. Okay. Okay. My mini rant my mini rant can be summed up uh in the great words of Napoleon Di- Dynamite as shocks pegs sweet. Because my my read of this is basically that if you go on the Rad Power website and then you also open up the website of pretty much any kind of mainstream bike brand by that. I mean like the brands that sell road bikes that we buy, right? If you open those two things next to each other, a lot of the, uh, the fundamental features to the, to the not hardcore cyclist look basically the same, right? You've got a little suspension fork, you've got disc brakes, you've got a big motor, You've got in the case of Rad Power, you often often have a throttle, which people really like from the outside. Those two, like the bikes, look roughly the same, right? Your option from Trek or from Specialized, your option from Rad Power. You're like, sweet, I get a suspension fork; it'll be comfortable. Sweet, I get disc brakes; I can stop. Now, the fact that the disc brakes on the Rad Power are mechanical disc brakes and are not amazing. And the disc brakes on the sort of traditional bike industry brand bikes are probably hydraulic and are probably much better. Those sort of things don't really matter, I think, to most end consumers because they can still stop and they still have disc brakes, and that's really what they want. And then they look at the price, and every single bike on the Rad Power website is between a thousand and two thousand U.S. dollars, and most of the traditional bike brand sites they start at like fifteen hundred minimum. Absolute minimum, and most of them for similar kind of uh again suspension uh disc brakes, things like that, most of those are going to be twenty five hundred thirty five hundred even more, and so you do this direct comparison as somebody who just wants the, to ride their bike around town, who does not care about the brand name, who does not care about the intricacies of which disc brake is better than some other disc brake or which suspension fork is going to work five years from now and which one isn't, they do not care and they do not know. If you just do those comparisons, Rad Power wins every single time, which is why when I ride around in Durango here, nine out of ten e-bikes
2: that I see are Rad Power e-bikes. I think the thing that Rad Power, not to continue to belabor belabor the point here, but I think what Rad Power has really gotten a hold of what they've really understood much better than anybody else is that the the act of just getting an e-bike for especially for cargo duty an an e-cargo bike in particular but the act of just adding one of those to your personal transportation options is much much more significant in terms of how it affects your life than what that particular cargo bike is or what those features are. Um, I don't know what Rad Power's most popular model is, but I know I see an awful lot of their rad wa- uh their Rad Waggons, their their long-tail cargo bike. Um, and for the people who buy that, it doesn't really... Yes, I mean, it, it, the brakes aren't as nice, the shipping's not as nice, all those sorts of things, whatever. But for them, just the fact that they now have an e-cargo bike is so life-changing, is so significant in terms of, again, how it affects your life that the other things that might affect how good that bike is relative to what you can get from a mainstream brand. Like it just kind of falls by the wayside. It falls by the wayside. It doesn't matter. What they care about is being able to carry like, hey, I can carry my kid around. I can carry four bags of groceries. I don't have to get in the car.
0: Yeah, 100%. I, I just, I think basically what I'm trying to say here is that the, the sort of traditional bike world, I think has has just missed the beat here. They've just, they've just completely, they, they're, they've they gotten in their own way. And I do, under, we, we discussed this at length in the Nerd Alert podcast. And I don't want to totally rehash all of it. And I do understand that you know they they a lot of them probably want to position themselves as a more high-end option and they don't necessarily want to sell bikes that have cheaper components that might start to fail earlier but at the same time they're getting their asses kicked because 9 out of 10 bikes that i see here are rad power and i and I, if the end goal is to get butts on seats on e-bikes and get them out of cars rad power is currently the company that's doing that and the bike industry the traditional bike industry is not and i think that that is a colossal
2: colossal mess up well and what's interesting is i've talked about this before and i guess i talked about this in particular in our in our wish list nerd alert podcast is how when you essentially just grow your audience overall then you have a much bigger pool of people to to market to and in the case of rad power because they have appealed to the mainstream essentially non-enthusiast cyclist market they have all of these people now who are rad power owners. And if I were rad power, I am sure, I'm sure they are either thinking about this or already have something in development. But if they were to introduce a sort of like deluxe rad power line, they've already got, up. God knows how many customers who are on their existing models who might be thinking to themselves, like, ah, eh, it might be a little bit nicer to have such and such at some point. And if rad power were to, were to actually offer that, I mean, it's, a, it's an easy sale
1: people have already bought into the brand that investment that they've been given is they've got a range of 11 bikes that is a tiny range of bikes when you compare it even to like the e-bike range of say trek like i've been looking for an e-bike for a little while uh, we're after one and finding exactly the right e-bike from the right people is a tough job and like these guys have got 11 in the in the range, and I'm like, yeah, that'll be the one that I would buy. They've, out of the 11 bikes that they got, it's easy to find. So, to... these guys, they clearly know what they're doing. They know their market. They know who they're aiming at. Yeah, and as you say, a, um, the deluxe models a no brainer for them.
3: I'm with Shoddy. Literally, while you guys were talking, I was looking at the Rad bike, um, uh, the their website alongside the Specialized and the Trek websites. I was immediately overwhelmed by both Specialized and Trek, the price, but also like the options and just cl- just closed them. And I was like, yeah, I would do the rad, the rad, the cheapest one, the like $999 one comes in great colors and it's like it easy you, to just It decide. gives you everything you want. Yeah. E-bikes
0: can be simple too. Like that, that's worth mentioning. I mean, Uh, we've got two we've got we've got big urban arrow and then we've got uh, a smart motion that uh, that my wife commutes on because it goes fast and basically you can you know you can go 28 miles an hour on or something like that and that thing like it's she doesn't even really shift it like who cares how good the shifting is you have a motor you just you just start pedaling and start going like these things it, it doesn't it just doesn't really It doesn't matter as much. The sort of like the minutia of, oh, I I like, I like SRAM shifting versus Shimano shifting. I like how it feels like, no, it's all, it's all irrelevant. You have a motor on the damn thing. And I think that's what the, I think that's what bike world is kind of missing here. And it, it's a shame. And, uh, I'm glad that a company, a company like Rad Power is coming in to fill the vacuum because it just, it's just putting people on bikes that want to be on bikes. And that's, that's what we should be. That's what we should be pushing for.
1: The the backstory of the brand's great as well. I can't remember where I read it, but basically it was started by a a kid who wanted to get a school. Because easy, because he lived like 30K away from his high school. And he just built an electric bike from his local Radio Shack Tandy's. I don't know. uh, Yeah, it's Radio Shack in the States, isn't it? And then like some old woman off the street was like, all right, Jimmy, can you build me one of them? And it just snowballed from there
0: james did your heater just die yes oh no all right it's time, to wrap up. It's time to wrap up we got <laughs> one more thing to talk about <laughs> we got one more thing to talk about let's keep this one quick james we reviewed a canyon road bike as part of our field test this week or last week i should say uh now this exi- this bike has basically existed in in very minorly modified form uh for what five or six years now and we kind of got called out a little bit by our readers for, for reviewing a bike that was quote unquote old Now you wanted to defend that decision.
2: I do because for a lot of bikes that are right at the cutting edge of technology, in particular things like, you know, bikes that are trying to be super, super light or like hyper arrow or that sort of thing, like things that are really on the cutting edge of technology. I can understand why you would not necessarily be super interested in something that is not brand new. Um, but in the case of this Canyon Endurance model, n- no, the bike is not new. It, it it has been around for a few years now. But um, you know, I, I did not ride this bike, I should say. it was It wasn't my size. It was a bike that you and Dan reviewed. But by all accounts, I mean, it's a great bike. It still has pretty modern tire clearance. I mean, Canyon officially rates it as a 30 which is kind of laughable considering it came with 32s that measured closer to 34 and there's still room to spare and a lot of people wrote in saying that they have the bike and saying they run it with 35s um but the tire clearance is still quite quite competitive the price is super competitive the features and everything are totally competitive it's still competitively light uh it still looks good uh i'm sure a canyon is due to update this model and my guess is that they are going to run fully concealed housing in hoses as is the case with most higher-end bikes these days in which case i would almost argue that that's going to make the bike bike worse uh in which case i would say that the bike that is out right now is probably the one that you would want to buy but anyway Point being, the, the, the people that are criticizing this bike, the, they're criticizing the fact that we reviewed a bike that is not necessarily new. I would, I would counter that and say, why does the bike, especially a bike in this endurance road category, need to be cutting edge and brand new if it is still competitive and especially if it is still competitive at a pretty good price, relatively speaking? Because if the bike is still really good, I mean, realistically, endurance bikes really haven't changed that much at all in the last several years. It doesn't need to be new. Particularly one that was ahead of its time before. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. necessarily need to be new. You can almost look at it in terms of, I, I, I feel like I'm always tossing out automotive analogies, but it's almost like if you are looking for a car and you are debating between the last model year of a car that's been around for a few years versus the brand new uh, first year of a new generation, there's a lot to be said for buying the last model of a current generation because there's a lot of experience behind it. There's things have been a little bit more refined, you know, companies may have learned a few, you know, learned from a few mistakes that they've made in production along the way. It's probably more reliable, that sort of thing, as opposed to a first year thing where you might have some some issues that you know weren't foreseen in testing or something. So anyway, that, that bike, again, I didn't ride it, but by all accounts, it seems like a great bike. And I don't really think it should be an issue that we reviewed a bike that's a few years old, if it's still really good.
0: You know what's not going to happen with a bike that's like five years old, four years old, whatever it is. Steer tubes, not going to fall off. Probably. <laughs> All right. Well defended, James. Well defended. I, I liked, I was the one. Yeah. Dan and I reviewed that bike. I really liked it. It's I've always really liked it. I've ridden that bike a number of times. Uh, They were the bikes that were the loner bikes at, at Rafa cycle clubs for a while. And so I've ridden them on the road a couple different times and, yeah. It's just a, I said this in the review. It's like, it's like just, it's the most bikey bike. It's, just, it's absolutely nothing wrong with it. You get
2: on it. You're like, that's a great bike that it's just a bike. It, it's not even nothing wrong it with remains it. That I mean, way. That, that's <laughs> almost like an under. Yeah. But it, uh, nothing wrong with it, it is almost kind of like an underhanded comment or underhanded compliment because it's not even so much that there's nothing wrong with it. There's just, there's a lot of really good things about it. There's just nothing about it that necessarily makes it Stand out in terms of any one particular attribute, but that's not necessarily a bad thing.
0: No, I think it's a great thing.
2: Yeah, it's a fantastic thing. It's just, yeah, it's a it's comfortable,
0: it's fast, it's stiff, it handles well, it's all it's just good all around. Nothing about it makes you go, whoa. But nothing about it makes you go, eh. So that's that's a that's a pretty good place for, for, for a bike to be, I think. All right, it's time for us to wrap up today. Hope you enjoyed today's show. And uh, well, actually, later this week, we've got a special episode with our friends over at Wahoo. So keep an ear out for that. Make sure you subscribe to the Freewheeling Podcast. Make sure you, you subscribe to Nerd Alert. Check out the full segment tips podcast network. If you haven't become a Velo Club member already, please do so. We need to buy more propane for James's yard
2: warmer (laughs) no no what we need to do is just make sure i have more reliable internet so i don't have to go outside again (laughs) yes we need to do that we're gonna that's that's the next
0: round of velo club uh membership fees that's where that's going it's for james's internet all right we'll be back next week thanks for listening everybody bye-bye
2: bye-bye